Go. What is going on, guys? Welcome back to the Wipeout Podcast. My name is Fernandez, and each and every episode it is my goal to help you level up your movements and your mindset in some kind of meaningful way so that you can live your fittest and most fulfilled <laughs> life. And today, my guest is none other than Raymond, aka The Nude Nick. Now, if you've never heard of The Nude Nick, I want you to continue listening to this right now, but just go and check out at The Nude Nick on Instagram. That's N O O D N I C K with a the in front of it, and just check out some of the skills that this guy has. Raymond is an artistic calisthenics athlete who performs all kinds of insane moves on human flags, on gymnastics rings, one-arm handstands on BOSU balls with shape changes. It's wild. And not only does Raymond have incredible skills and capacities as an athlete, he's also got an incredible detailed understanding of how to break down these moves into their simplest component forms and build them up from a really first principles level. And he's also doing this stuff at six foot two. So it just makes all of the skills he's able to do that much more impressive. So if you've been struggling to make progress in your handstand journey, in your flexibility journey, or in any kind of strength skills, get into this episode because there's going to be so many different gold nuggets in here for you to take away different principles that you can apply, different frameworks that you can use in your own training just to smash through your plateaus and to make progress so much faster. I really, really think, I know you guys are going to get a lot out of this episode because I learned so much as well. So without any further ado, please welcome Raymond, aka The Nude Nick. And we're live, bro. What's going on? Thanks for coming, oh, on, bro. Hello, hello. Very excited. So it's so nice to sit down and chat with you, Fernandez. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, man. We managed to make it work with the time zones and everything like that. But I'd just love for you to start off by telling people your name and a little bit about what you do. Okay, so my name is Raymond. I, I keep my myself private and separated, but my alter ego online is the Nudnik. So if you're familiar with my work, you probably know me as the Nudnik. That's what I am on uh, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. And uh, I do art- artistic calisthenics. So I teach it, I perform it, and I talk about it quite incessantly. So quite often <laughs> and do it every day. And uh, yeah, that's 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 what I do. So artistic calisthenics. I, I specialize in rings, handstands, and uh, human flags. Those are, those are my my passions. And we, we're, we're linked. We're both uh, tall. So like, yeah, I struggle with uh, front lever and pledge. So if you're here <laughs> for front lever and pledge, go elsewhere because that is not my specialty. Tall guy yeah, problems. Man. It is uh, brutal at our height. 100% dude. But uh, just for people listening as well, if for any reason you haven't seen what Raymond does, I would really encourage you just to pause or to keep listening to this and just go check it out his Instagram or his YouTube channel because some of the stuff you do, man, is 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 insane. And I love the artistic component of what you do as well, which makes it very, very unique. You know, a lot of stuff in calisthenics can be like performative, but people are just trying to do the most crazy displays of strength possible. But I really like, I'm a big fan of strength skills as well and making things fun and making things a bit performative as well. So that's why when I first came across your stuff, it really jumped out to me as not only like really fucking impressive, even you know not just for a dude to your height but just in general but as well i love the artistic before the artistic component and how much fun it looks like you're having as well and so i kind of wanted to dig into a little bit like how did you get into calisthenics first of all and then what was that journey like to coming up with this style that you have perfect okay so my my uh introduction really to calisthenics was uh when i was 13 so 27 years ago I was uh, climbing, uh, tree climbing. I wanted to race up trees as fast as I could. 
And I needed to get stronger because I, I wasn't quite getting up there as fast as I would have liked. And then I also wanted to be very creative with it. So, you know, I had to, had to work on pull-ups, muscle-ups, and just getting stronger in general, grip strength. And mm -hmm. that, that was really what led me into all of it. Then when I got a little older, uh, you know, like 16, 17, I, I, I wanted to start doing like handstands because party tricks, you know. Yeah. 17-year-old, seven, you, you want to be cool at parties, do party yeah. tricks, do some handstands, <laughs> do some stuff like that. Back then, you know, the bar wasn't set so high. If you could just walk around in a handstand, it was like, whoa, you don't have to do like <laughs> one-arm handstands on a BOSU ball or crazy nonsense like I have to do now to yeah, barely, <laughs> to barely <laughs> cut it on Instagram. Yeah, if, if I even if I even like leave in if I don't edit out releasing one of my hands in a one arm handstand like the views tank, <laughs> you know, back back then like twenty four years ago or whatever it was, if you just walked around in a handstand, you were you were the king. So that's hilarious. <laughs> Did that? Yeah, that was that was my introduction to calisthenics, really, and then just really it, the the philosophical side of it that really got me hooked was doing things I didn't enter adulthood being able to do. So it kind of started mm. feeling like a lucid dream the more I did it. And uh, yeah, it's just cool to acquire new skills that your body and mind weren't even capable of conceiving. So that's that's really what led me down this endless, endless rabbit hole. It is endless, man. And what about the kind of artistic performance side of things? When did that, you started out kind of getting into things just for, just for strength and for functional stuff for climbing trees. When did you start to experiment with someone more artistic and almost kind of dance-like stuff that you do now? Great question. So I never danced. I was, was uh, you know, too cool to dance. I'm like, you know, tall guy problem. I didn't want to be the tall guy <laughs> on the dance floor dancing. So I can only dance when I'm off the ground. Yeah. So uh, it was really uh, like my whole background was fine arts growing up. So I was really into any any version of fine arts. And then martial arts as a teenager also just got me into the structured movement of, of, of you know, the, the dance-like movement that of of fighting essentially mm. and then which month in my, in my late 20s i i did shirinru karate and i also did kung fu so nice. shirinru early on kung fu later on and then uh later on in my late 20s i got very into submission grappling yeah no gi brazilian jiu-jitsu but i i consider it submission grappling because i i focused on all the arts and i never really did the whole gi thing so it was, it was always no gi based and i like to i like to I was a big fan of like Sambo leg locks, catches catch Ken leg locks, and and just a, a lot of application of uh, Greco folk style wrestling uh, stuff like yeah. that. I trained with a lot of wrestlers, high level wrestlers, so I like to apply that, but uh, from from the bottom and from a you know less dominant from a submissive position and fighting out of that because and basically so the structured learning of that and the art of the movement based in in, in ground fighting and grappling that really got me very addicted to the art of movement and how important movement is. And then I used calisthenics a lot throughout all of that because essentially, especially rings, I used rings a lot during my, uh, during my, my, my grappling. Cause it's really all, you know, for submission grappling, it's really maintenance of, of uh, proximity of the elbows to the body. So if you can separate the opponent's elbows, you're, you're essentially open to submission. And then also everything, because I, I focused on fighting off my back and guard and all that. So everything is hollow body. It's all hollow thoracic mm. spine. Because if you have a flat back and guard, I mean, you can't spin, you can't pivot, you can't, you can't adapt anything. And turtle, anything like they have a flat back and turtle, your whole hips are open, your whole hip cavity is open. So it's all, mm. all thoracic hollow. I mean, thoracic is thoracic hollow is so important to anything with your body any athletics but fighting in particular and then yeah it was just that doing the submission grappling for a long time teaching it competing in it and all that that really structured my mind mm 
to not not only the art of it, the philosophy of movement, the psychology of it, because really like martial arts, it's essentially just gaming people's autonomic responses to, to fear based on their experience level. So it just mm. as, as I came up through that, it, it became very obvious that like if somebody hasn't trained before, like if you've never trained before, you're going to have the exact same fear responses. Like it's just very yeah. easy to game it. And if you've yeah. trained for like a year or so, you're probably going to have a certain skill set and, and you'll start overcoming certain fear responses and you'll react in a certain way. And as you progress, 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 you're just learning how to game people's fear responses. So the psychology of it. So not only was the physical aspect incredibly similar, but now doing what I do now, it's also basically just gaming my own fear response. So like, mm -hmm. you know, like to get better at handstands, I forced myself to practice handstands on bricks, <laughs> you know, to yeah, like right. to get better at one arm handstands. I forced myself to overcome the fear of the BOSU ball, you know, like I, mm -hmm. a lot of things, you know, like to get better at human flags rather than practicing low to the ground. I forced myself to get way up high and, you know, have to climb up into them and, it's just, and you know, same with rings. I mean, a lot of things in rings, it's just, it's fearful because if you mess it up, you know, you could slip, you know, tear something. So again, it's just always been gaming the fear response, just, just figuring out how to, how to like predict the fear response and then get around it. So that was, that was, that was like the path that led me to where I am now. And that's where the art, and the other thing I guess I should say is because I came up training with wrestlers. And I knew I just, I wasn't going to, I had a little bit of high school wrestling, but I was never going to catch up with it. I trained with a lot of D1 All-Americans and like wow, D1 yeah. wrestlers. And I was like, my only chance is I'm, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to be creative. I'm going to have to be technical. I'm going to have mm. to use my length. I'm going to have to fight off my back because there's zero chance I'm taking these guys down. Yeah. So it'll never happen. And then that applied to calisthenics because I was like, I guess I'm going to have to be artistic. You know, I have an artistic mind for it. I, you know, I'm coordinated. I like coordinated movement. I move well in that way. Mm. And then it's like, there's zero chance I'm ever going to be a static guy. Like, I'm not going to be able to hold <laughs> these, these stat. There's, there's no chance. It's just no chance. Yeah. So I, I originally entered in with teaching because that was also my background in grappling. I, I taught that for many years. And then for the teaching, just that that went. But then when I wanted to be more on the performative aspect, then I had to be art artistic because i had i really had no other choice like there's i just had i tall guy problems like yeah. let's face it we're never we're like guys our size we're never setting a world record in anything for hold time it's just not <laughs> happening yeah so that, that, that was the long drawn out version yeah the, no i rambled that's not that's super interesting man so, I yeah, find that's, that that's really... it. I, oh my i should say because I, I babble uh, I was gonna say because I babble. My name is uh, the Nudnik. It means boring cuss in Yiddish. I'm, yeah, I just thought it was funny. I thought it was tongue in cheek, and I figured people would think my name is Nick. So if I start rambling, boring cuss. <laughs> That's fucking hilarious, no man. I honestly find that super interesting because oh, thank you. The connection between martial arts and body weight skills and calisthenics, and especially ring work and stuff like that. I find is sometimes not immediately obvious. Like some people will be like, "Oh yeah, I started doing body weight stuff because it transfers better." But the mechanisms as to why I feel like I haven't heard them explained like that nearly oh, as much. You. And this is something that I, I've found pretty regularly with, with your content and stuff like that, as you do have a really detailed understanding of how the body has to move in order to achieve certain movements. And in my experience, I, I like to think of myself as someone who has a similar understanding. And in my experience, it's only because it's someone who's had to learn the hard way. And I feel like that is because of being real fucking tall and not just being able to get away with sloppy technique or anything like that, both in your martial arts 
you know, your martial arts career and also now you cast the next stuff as well. So first of all, how, yeah. how tall are you? And second of all, like, how did you start? What was that journey like for you starting out calisthenics, being a taller dude? And what kind of things did you have to work around, you know, in order to, in order to kind of practice this discipline? So early on, it was actually, it never even entered my mind. I didn't even think being tall was that big of a problem. So yeah. it was, I should say I'm, I'm six foot two mm-hmm. and I weigh 170 pounds. So tall, sk- you know, skinny, you know, like yeah. too tall, too tall for gymnastics and the shorter sports <laughs> and too short for the tall guy sports. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I don't weigh enough for like the big guy sports. Yeah, so for sure. like, I, 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 I think it's about 77 kilos or so, I think. 70, yeah, 75 kilos right. and um, at 190, 189, something like that centimeters. Right. I'm not sure exactly the height. Yeah. I think we're really similar, right? We're very similar in that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm 6'2 as well. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah, I didn't find a sport. Like I played a lot of sports, but my size was always like either not the right size. It was always like Goldilocks. I was looking for the Goldilocks. That's where grappling was great because being long mm. and lanky and thin it's great. I most of my competition was at 205 and I, I'd weigh in with my clothes on it, <laughs> you know, never weighing more than 175. But it didn't wow. matter because like size and everything, it, it just worked out, especially mm. being lean. And um, yeah, so like early on in calisthenics, it just didn't enter my mind. I was just a teenager trying to do stuff and I was just mm. never even thought of it. And then when I was using it for strength and conditioning and and everything, like I started getting more into calisthenics. I started, this was way back when I started, you know, seeing Frank Medrano and I started seeing mm-hmm. like Hannibal for King and like, you know, convict conditioning was big. I was into the dragon door books back then okay. and a lot of that stuff. And, uh, yeah, just because the bar wasn't that high. It was like if you could do freestanding handstand push-ups and some bar muscle-ups and stuff, you were a king back then. So I was like, <laughs> so I was just seeing these guys that were like, you know, superheroes doing some some great stuff. And they, it was really when I saw Frank do like Tiger Bend handstand push-ups, I was like, oh mm-hmm. shit, I gotta take this to the next level. But uh, yeah, everything else was just like I was doing I was doing handstand push-ups, a little bit of weighted handstand push-ups, some muscle-ups with you. So I was like, I'm good. I I don't have to worry about this. I'm 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 great at calisthenics. I'm just to keep rocking and rolling with this and then when i got into like you know much later on the whole the whole game had changed and just yeah if you if you couldn't plant you were <laughs> who were you you know like <laughs> now i'm planting on your fingertips nobody gives a shit i'm, I'm doing one arm handstands on freaking bosu balls and shape changing and flowing and people are like <laughs> oh you know what it was the, the, the two second introduction before he took his hand off you know and it went into a one arm that might have been too long i go boring <laughs> So now it matters. Now it's like height is like, oh my God, how am I going to ever like do these things that I'm going to have to do at this height? And especially at 40. So I'm just like, oh, I'm too old. I'm too tall, but whatever. I'm going to stay artistic and just do what I do. Yeah. hundred percent. And for anyone listening, who's not hundred percent sure about the height thing as well. It just sounds like an excuse. Like there's a real physical component, like a physics component to this as well. Whenever you were kind of extend the lever arm away from your center of mass, that's going to increase the distance at which gravity is kind of exerting force on your limbs. So that's why, for example, a straddle front lever is so much easier than a full front lever because your legs are so much further away from your, your center of mass or like where your hands are on the bar. And so that's just going to be is that much more force acting on the end of your feet, which is going to be pushing a lot harder, making it a lot harder to stay on the bar. And so if you just think about a person exactly like extending that lever arm just by virtue of them being taller as well, that's what makes it so much harder when you are a tall person doing calisthenics and gymnastic stuff. And you've only got to look at Olympic gymnasts and just see the complete absence of anyone that's over like five, eight, you know what I mean? To, to, to see this in action at the kind of, at the highest level. 
Yeah. And also something that people don't even realize, like I can't even really do handstands like in a house in like my house or anything like that. Like <laughs> yeah. I have to go to the gym because like if I if I even use like basic little parallettes, I prefer to train on parallettes just from mm. I'm old and, you know, I've had wrist issues in my 20s and stuff. So I like just healthier on my wrist, but I can't do them because my feet hit the eight foot ceiling. So it's like <laughs> I can't there's it's it's awful like you know standard ceiling height over here in America it's like eight feet if I'm, if I'm on even small parallettes like this my feet are on the ceiling so it's like yeah yeah it's frustrating yeah man so if they're like what's your journey being like with joint prep and stuff like that have you had a lot of joint issues by virtue of your height and the amount of forces going through your joints or what's that been like for you I've had endless joint issues from grappling so from the grappling okay. career I've had you know, the, the only joint issue that plagues me still is like, I feel like I have titanium shoulders. Everything feels incredible. You know, like my back finally feels incredible. Everything feels great awesome. except my elbows. My elbows are trash from all, from again, long arm, susceptible to arm bars. I was just like, mm. that was like my Achilles heel. Anything with my arm, any Kimura arm bar, anything, which is right. any type of, any type of uh, torque in my elbow, it's just my elbows are dogged. So I struggle with elbow issues all the time still. But other than that, I don't really do any joint prep. I don't really warm up for calisthenics. Like most days, especially uh, the last two weeks, I've, I've just my I've, I've been having some uh, nerve damage in my hands. So I've just been easing up on the one arms for two weeks. But mm -hmm. for I train, I take off maybe four days a year. And our, my usual warm up is like I'll walk into a gym and I'll start every session in a one-arm handstand i'll just walk up yeah, and right. start start by holding a one arm so that's usually how i'll start and then i'll just progress into more complicated but it usually starts at a one arm and then we'll progress into like one arm shape changes flows and then i'll usually do flags after that or just you know just just like that but yeah in general no no warm-up no stretching uh at the end i do some weighted mobility mm -hmm. i have caustic squats are my go-to like nice. so caustic squats are everything I'm obsessed with those. Uh, they gave me side splits. Uh, no flexibility work. No, no, none of, no stretching. None of that. Just uh, handstands, flags, cossacks, ev like almost every day. And then rings thrown in here and there. Just uh, again, because rings, I haven't been able to train them really since February because I had, had a bit elbow injury as usual. It's just, it wasn't even from calisthenics. I was just like, my elbow just gave out one day because elbows, they're garbage. And uh <laughs> Yeah, so like rings, I'm getting back into slowly, but uh, yeah, so it just I couldn't, I can't deal with flexion. So anything mm. hyper, any any type of uh, flexion in my arm, just from uh, you know, just uh, there were some arm slices early on, stuff like that, that I got some hyperflexion in my elbow. Okay. So like the any the muscle up transition in rings is also on top of being long. Any anytime yeah. my elbows are worn up, it's just the hyperflexion just wrecks my elbows. Yeah, 100%. I'm exactly the same with that transition point. It was super, super, yeah. Elbow is exactly the same Achilles heel for me as well. Um, yeah. But that's actually the, why I came up with my method of muscle up. It, like just going back to if you don't mm, mind me cutting in. Yeah, please. So like the, the overhead method with wider arms that you see, it's more gym, gymnast style where it's just kind of like more of a press through, almost like a snap into a Bulgarian dip and then up. I had to, I, like, it just wasn't working for me from the, you know, longer arms and the uh, hyperflexion issues in my elbow. So what I had to do was like all my muscle ups and like the, the, uh, the technique that I really champion, uh, championed early on in my uh, Instagram career that like really got me known was, uh, I call it the ice cream maker muscle up. So it was always from like, uh, 
a, a front lever, like not, not, mm. not, not a straight front lever, but like an L sit front lever more. And it would just be, so I'd come and I'd transition here and I'd connect my elbows to my body and create a lat shelf. So I'd connect my triceps to my, to my lats. And then I'd just allow from that point, I'd keep my butt as high as possible. And then once I'd have that latch shelf and I'd be there, I'd allow my, I'd keep, I'd keep my hips as tight as possible. I'd keep that L sit or the V sit and I'd allow that to roll me on top of the rings and then transition through there safer. Mm. And, you know, transitions got much easier later on, but like the method is really easy to learn. And, uh, you know, it gets people to the muscle up so much quicker, but it really all relies on rather than trying to like press through like that, staying tight here. And then rolling on top and creating that that tension again. It's just jujitsu concepts. It's like, oh, I got to create structure, create a latch shelf, and then roll on top of the rings and just use uh, use a uh, you know transfer of weight. Hundred so. percent, yeah, absolutely. And especially when you do have longer levers and stuff like that, to be able to use that structure of your own body, you can stay hollow. You can pull your hips back, and that's going to just roll everything forwards. I've done a very very similar thing working like a lot yeah. of. Uh, it actually only came across your content relatively recently. But I found that yeah. we've done some similar stuff in terms of the muscle up transition. I do a lot of stuff from lock offs and use that L shape to keep my center of mass forward. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's interesting just how you got to arrive, actually, arrive at similar conclusions. And it actually benefits taller guys like us because for once our longer legs will actually be an asset to us for with yes. the counterweight to then roll us through transitions. And there there are some aspects to being longer that are helpful. For instance, like that's something I like too. We create much longer lines. So like sometimes yeah. when I'll do like straddle work and stuff, the, the, the lines are psychotically long and you're just not going to see that in your average hand balance or an average calisthenic skill. So they, some things are dope, but like, yeah, we can create pre and we have good leverage with pulling. So there is yes. that pulling. We have great leverage. hundred percent. So when I see you doing a lot of the stuff that you're doing right now, you know, it's, it's very, very high level stuff. You're also, you know, for example, in a, in a human flag, if you're going to be flowing around and doing kind of spinal waves and stuff like that, you need to have not just a human flag, you need to have a much, you know, bigger buffer of shoulder rotation and, you know, serratus stability. There's so much other stuff going on in your body that you need to be able to do. So how did you go about building that base of strength in order to do that? Were you just experimenting with the moves themselves was it more supplementary training or, you know, kind of basic pushing strength that you would try and develop and then you would use that existing strength to, to play within the artistic realm? How did you kind of go about building these skills? Archers. Archers are my answer to everything. So it's even like if you think of Cossack squats, it's essentially mm -hmm. a leg archer. You know, it's squat one leg out perfectly to the side straight and squatting down to depth or, you know, over squatting with your foot up. It's just mm -hmm. archer. So like pulling strength, always archers, always one arm out, pulling like that. Um, flags, all my flag strength comes from top arm archers, bottom mm, arm archers. So it's all archers. And then the the better I got at archers, the more I understood it. It's just finding different places in them. Then behind the back archers, we're pulling the head. It's just mm. everything comes from archers. And this so, is archer pull-ups. You're talking about archer push-ups as well everything so pushing strength archer push-ups and dips archer ring dips and you know mm. like it would start out with just going down and do, do a typewriter then mm. a negative come pull it back in come up and then when you're strong enough that and then you know that also leads to flies as well so once you're strong enough with archers then you could do that once i was strong enough with cossacks then i could go out to a full split so it's always I always like to have one leg working and one leg, not only just, you know, just it adds a bit of resistance. It adds a, a bit of assistance, I should say, but it also mm. extends your range of motion. 
that there's there's magic, especially for longer joints like us that can be had for just straight joint work. Straight arm work is fantastic. Straight mm. leg work like with longer limbs. I find that it's so healthy and beneficial to to our bodies to do straight straight work, which you're really not going to do in traditional weightlifting or traditional training. And uh, yeah, so everything is archers. So all, all the strength, it's always work on the two arm version then work on typewriter versions, then work on, you know, any type, any mm. way that I could start pulling with only one arm dominant and using the other. And flags are interesting because then the, the bottom arm becomes a hinge or the top arm becomes a pivot. So once mm. I started like really getting very competent in flag archers, I started seeing so much, so much more technical possibility in that. And it just, it opened up the realm of movement capability. And yeah, I'm glad you said that. Like, cause the full flag, everyone acts like, like just holding yourself out straight in a full flag is like, that's it. <laughs> and that's, I think, I think that's why the flag gets a lot of flack and people like disrespect it. Like maybe it's not the hard, that was like years before what I'm doing now. Like, yeah. like full flag is literally just like, okay, the, the theme park is now open. Now you can start going on the rides, mm. but you're going to have to wait in line to get on every one of those rides. And each one's going to be a process and yeah. have fun with that. But the full flag is literally level one. Everything leading up to the full flag just preps you for everything you're going to have to do. If you want to start taking an omnidirectional flags is what I call it. Same with handstands, mm. omnidirectional. I always want to move in every single range of motion in every every plane of motion this is dope man this is really cool and i think first of all if you're listening to this and you're like what are all these exercise names i'm gonna leave links to this in all of the show notes so feel free to go and check that out you'll be able to see exactly each one of these exercises demonstrated um but the second thing is as well i feel like what you're talking about is really valuable because whether you're a tall guy or not what you're speaking about is super valuable and it's also a progression if you're starting out in your bodyweight strength journey and you want to build up to some of the stuff that Raymond's doing then this really offers you a bit of a roadmap in order for you to get from wherever you are right now to some of the crazier high level stuff as well beginning with the two arm working absolutely everything you're talking about building your foundations absolutely. of pushing up dips pull-ups you know rows that kind of stuff and just building up bilateral two arm strength and then once you've got that extending the lever out so starting with like a two arm pull-up for example and then extending one arm out and starting to get used to holding some load on that straight arm. That's called a typewriter version. When you start in and you extend out and then eventually working into archer negatives where you extend that out and then you drop down, keeping that arm straight, getting more eccentric loading through there. And then eventually doing the hardest version, the concentric, which is pulling up with that straight arm all the way together. And then like, that's a really, that's a step-by-step -step process that you can follow and build up from wherever you're at in order to be able to build this kind of base of strength. And, you know, I really love that you're saying that the archer is the, is the foundation for you to move into all of this dynamic stuff. Cause I'm a big believer that yes, we want to train the strength skills, but also we want to make the strength skills as easy as possible for us with good intelligent strength training. So I love yes. that. I'm, I'm even thinking about cool. How can I, incorporate more archer work into what I do because it's not something I've focused on yes. before. Could I add more benefit to the archer? Please, so yes. I used to be a huge proponent, especially for pull-ups. I used to be obsessed with doing like super heavy-weighted pull-ups. Yeah, but it, it would, uh, it, I found it would affect my range of motion and it never actually made my joints healthier. That's what I love about archers because especially in like more complicated, like for instance, a flag, mm -hmm. I have to be like my bottom arm, if I'm doing a topside archer, like, it's just not the same as like doing both are like my, my scapula has to be perfectly protracted at all times or I'll mm. tear an AC. Like yeah. it's always, so like 
archers are extremely, extremely beneficial to developing like full range of motion, but perfect form in full range of motion. And then since you were talking about pull-ups, so first of all, people tend to add weight before they should, but archers are like self-limiting. Like you really can't mm. do them. Like you have to start at the typewriter. You can't cheat your way there. So it's going to prep and prepare your joints as you acquire strength. So it's a much safer path to the, to the strength you're, you're working towards. And then the beautiful thing about archers, especially with, uh, you know, like any type of archer variation you do, because of like the different leverages in the arms and the different arm lengths, it's going to change. The, so everything in calisthenics is all scapula position, which is almost always depressed and forward for most pulling skills and almost most pressing skills. The only time it's ever going to be like elevated is whenever you're in a human flag or a handstand or at the, the bottom dead hang of a pull-up, everything else will always be depressed and always protracted. You're not going to be winging your shoulder blades and pinching them back. You're always going to be fighting to keep them forward, and you're never going to be shrugging like that. You're always going to be pushing them down. So archers, it's going to develop proper scapula position, but what's also really important is it's not just scapula position so much as scapula position and how it plays off of the position of the of the thoracic spine. So whether your mm. thoracic spine is in coil, you know, side to side coiling, if it's in arch or if it's in hollow. And that's what's beautiful about archers is even if you're just doing an archer pull up, you're going to coil into the pulling arm. So mm. you're going to start developing all the serratus, everything uh, wrapping around, you know, the rhomboids, the serratus, everything wrapping around the thoracic spine, all, all around that magical area just below the nipples and just above like the upper abs, you know, that, that where I guess where you'd wear like one of those heart monitor bands or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to develop all of that. It's going to start getting you proper mobility. It's going to break up the scar tissue and it's just going to force you in pr proper form and it's going to force you to learn proper form in a progression that will basically police you and prevent you from using you know skipping ahead like a meathead nice so. i love that dude that's that's really great and also i feel like yeah just coming back to as well more i guess if, if you're listening to this you're probably already open to you know the advantages of strength training over over oh, sorry of calisthenics over traditional conventional weight training but this kind of coiling motion that you're talking about is so 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 important not just for single arm pulling and pushing strength, but also for just the health of your spine, for you to be able to move for your posture, even for stuff, if you're interested in stuff like floor work, for you to be able to coil to the side and get the elbow wedged into the side, for you to be able to enter and exit the floor. All of this stuff is really, really important in grappling, like you were just saying, you know, keeping that that base of support. That's not an area of expertise for me at all, but just learning how to move in these ways and become strong there as well is going to open up so many different skill pathways and just being able to develop that awareness in your own body. So I really love what you're talking about here, man. I want huge, to huge, huge. Mm. Oh shit. Before we go on, should I, yeah. should I add my most important uh, training tip? Oh, so please. it's really simple. Yes. The most important, the most important thing that I think everyone should be doing, not just in calisthenics, um, really in any way you can, if, if you really want to master the movement patterns of what you're performing. And I think it would apply to everything. I, I apply it to calisthenics, but I think it would apply to everything. Film yourself. Mm. And then don't just film yourself, film everything, and then don't watch it. So what the way that I watch what I film is I'm, there's a few, there's multi layers to it. So I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm, tr I'm trying to program myself. So that's why I make the videos. That's why I started making the videos is I wanted to see myself 
acquiring skill and transcending my limitations. And I wanted to present it in like a heroic fashion. That's why I like to use like up angle camera angles to, you know, hero shots. I wanted to use some filter. I wanted to make it look better than I was seeing myself as to just basically steal from Hollywood. And rather than programming me to start looking up to, you know, people with CGI or just, you know, whatever actors, actresses and all that, I wanted to start looking up to myself and be the hero of my own movie. But then the most important thing that I found uh, over time of filming myself for many years was uh, a kind of synesthesia type effect of what, if I'd watch if I'd watch myself with the intention of really like almost meditating the feeling into my mm. body. So what I'm watching, I try to feel it in my body and I really try to really tune into the mental sensation and the physical sensation. And then when I feel it, I try to see it in my head, you know, exactly the way it would look on camera. Mm-hmm. So it, like synesthesia is when, uh, you know, you, you hear colors or you see sounds or yeah, a simple version of synesthesia would be like, um, you know, you hear a song and you get the chills. It causes a physical sensation from an audible sound. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, you smell, you smell something and it brings back a memory. Like that, that's essentially a form of like very, very low level explanation of it. But yeah, so like that's, that's what became interesting. So like, and that becomes so important to, to, to watch something to then be able to feel it because then you can just become a visual learner. So like if you learn how to mimic and like I was always very good at mimicry. But if I had understood this synesthesia aspect of converting sight into physical sensation within, you can acquire skills so much quicker because anything you see, your brain's going to be, con- and it's going to develop over time. It's not special to me or anything like that. It's just, it's just a learned skill that you have to apply yourself to. And you'll just watch something and now all of a sudden you can mimic the patterns and you can feel the patterns just by thinking them. And then what's really amazing is like when we're doing calisthenics or doing anything really, like no matter what it is, your psychology is going to alter your perception of reality. Mm-hmm. You know, in calisthenics, you know, like you, you people with back levers, they think they're in the perfect back lever line. <laughs> yeah. They're way up in the air like this. Back yeah. lever is like the ultimate like psych. You're not anywhere near where you thought you were. Yeah. Like, but if you start training it to like this, where sensation becomes sight, like the awareness is off the charts. Like I, I, yeah. I did a challenge, uh, two summer like a summer ago or something like that blindfolded calisthenics like complex ring sets wow, complex sick. blindfolded calisthenics and you could just see it like like that that's where it really became so profound to me where just with the blindfold i'm still watching the flow happen as i'm doing it and it came out flawless you like, cannot tell the difference between blindfolded and unblindfolded just because physical sensation converts to exact sight now and i'm not mm. special it's just anyone could do it but you just you got to spend a little bit of time doing it just film everything i get so mad at people like you know friends i work out with people i work out with they'll they won't film their warm-ups they won't film something because they don't think it's like worth posting it's like it's not about worth posting it's about training your mind to acquire really a superpower you can blind sight you're getting blind sight based on a tactile response it's, it's amazing like film yourself everyone huge. sorry no dude that's awesome a huge 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 plus one to what you're saying as well it's just closing the gap between what you think your body is doing in space and what it's actually doing in space is just that's everything when it comes to calisthenics especially the performative aspect as well and i love that you mentioned the visual learner thing as well because the whole learning styles thing i think people kind of get it twisted they're like oh well i'm just a visual learner or i'm just a kinesthetic learner or something like that but like one good luck learning any movement skill without being a kinesthetic learner 
but two, you know, like you can just develop the skill over time. Like I'd always mm-hmm. been a bit of an auditory learner. That's because I grew up playing music. And mm-hmm. as soon as I'm able to use that because I've had exposure to that. And as soon as I started filming myself more and more and more, I became more of a visual learner and I improved my skill of mimicry. But that's only because mm-hmm. I started filming myself ages ago. And so I really, really like huge encouragement to do that as well there are times where you might not want to film and you might want to focus exclusively on the feeling and that's fine but i feel like having it there or having it going is always going to be just massive mimicry is everything mimicry is the most important skill to learn and i think in acquiring any new skill i think like mimicry Mm -hmm. learning how to mimic and learning you know and like visual visualization and like not just like seeing yourself as the person you're mimicking and stuff i think it's huge to develop your own skill and then you know once you acquire enough skill and you you then you get to start playing like i I think like that's really the learning process learn to mimic find something that you want to mimic something that you connect with something that motivates you something so so you if you are going to mimic like always mimic something that you don't need motivation to mimic motivate mimic something that you put on a pedestal naturally mm, like mimic nice. something that you naturally look up to don't mimic something that you're like i want to be like that but i don't like being like that i don't you know <laughs> like like i would never mimic someone who's like skill pattern just do- doesn't lighten light me up or yeah. who like i don't identify with or find something you identify with who's doing something you identify with learn to mimic them and again mimicry is not the same as idolization like do not idolize them mimic them just mimic them see like just since you're so used to watching someone and you're mo- you find someone you're already motivated to watch so that you'll be motivated to think of yourself in that role play that role play that character learn how to mimic and if you can mimic you can you can do anything you can learn anything mm-hmm. and you'll get to that point faster which at that point then you can truly develop who you are so mm-hmm. i think the the pattern is mimicry until you reach like base neutral where you have the skills to then develop yourself and create a, a holistic version of yourself like a complete picture of yourself because if you if you start creating yourself prior to mimicry i just it's it's difficult to stay motivated to acquire all the skills needed to then create a whole version of yourself. I think you'll just always be incomplete and you're always going to lack motivation and always be looking for external sources of motivation and you might not be able to find them as readily as just looking, oh, this, this person's awesome. Let me mimic them until I'm competent enough to then create something myself and start mimicking myself. Absolutely, dude. And just to tie that off, that thread off as well, if you need any further proof of this, it's exactly what you were speaking about before in the terms of before the internet, the level of many, many, many skills, but especially calisthenics was at a particular level. And then as soon as you get access to the ability for more people to be able to watch a video of somebody else doing something crazy, that becomes the new standard. And then you can surpass that standard and then that becomes the new standard again. So yeah, hundred percent. Truth. I wanted to, um, I wanted to ask you someone about, you know, I think one of the, also the conundrums of having, social media and access to people doing all this wild shit is it gets difficult sometimes as a from a learner perspective to distinguish between what is demonstration and what is training and Mm. sometimes if you try and train in the way that people are demonstrating you can slow your progress but if you because sometimes it's not the same thing the way that someone might be doing something to do something showy and cool might not be how they actually train to prepare for that skill so Mm. of the stuff that you do how much of what you show on social media is the way that you train versus how much of it is the demonstration and your actual nuts and bolts of your training is quite different. What's that like for you? 100% of it is the way that I train. Awesome. So I don't do reps and sets. I 
don't like normally at all. I, I might, I might film something with reps and sets just to share it with people, but like, I don't do that regularly at all. So my approach to training is first things first, we all have to be honest with ourselves. We're, we're all on the same journey. So we're all at the same place. As long as you're walking the path, we're all at the same path. So no matter what level you're at, I want to be better at stuff. You could be the best in the world. You always going to want to be better at stuff. So we're all the same as long as we're all walking the same journey. So you just have to be honest with yourself. Don't compare yourself. I think the idolization process and comparing yourself and doing all that bad, you know, just, just be honest. Don't beat yourself up, like, but mimic. So look up, mm. mimic, learn to mimic them. And then like, just find the methodology that works best for you and that your body works best at. So some people prefer like structured learning. I don't like structured learning. I hated school. I like, I like chaos. I like surfing chaos. That's what I like to do. I like chaotic learning. I like, I like exploring every possible, like, I don't want to do a set of like, you know, three sets of however many reps of handstand pushups. I want to try get into a handstand from every position possible. I want to hold the handstand in every position possible, enter in every position, transition to every skill that is available to me at that moment mm -hmm. and learn every aspect of that movement pattern. So like for me, like, that's why I don't like reps and set style training. So ever since day one, it was always like, even if I could only do a frog stand and then like, you know, like a, a great skill pattern that I like to put beginners onto is just, all right, so you start starting in, in a pike hold. So if, if it gets at all too technical, just a pike hold, which would be like a handstand with your feet on the floor. So your body's like that and you're in a handstand like that. Then I'd lower down and bring my elbow, uh, you know, like seamlessly fold my body down bring my elbows inside my knees and then lift up into a frog stand, which is just a very basic yoga pose where you have bent arms and your, your, your legs are out wide like that. And you're just balancing your arm like that. And then just lean forward, go to a headstand, lift yourself up to a headstand. The end. So I think everything I like, my methodology is always flow patterning. So moving from one position to another seamlessly. But again, that's my style of learning and people who like, you know, work out with me and stuff like they usually connect, but if they don't and they prefer reps and sets, I think it's all about finding what keeps you. We're all individuals. We're all unique. We all approach mm -hmm. le learning differently. We all have different goals. You know, if you're a static guy and your your goal is to hold the longest front lever, like don't do what I do. You know, like figure it figure it out. My 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 statics are garbage. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm just I'm just trying. I'm just doing what works best for what I do. So I flow very well and I move very well because it's the only thing that I do. And then. Um, yeah, so I think that's it. I, I think don't, again, mimic, but don't copy, don't emulate, like, and it, just figure it out, like, figure out what you want to be good at. And then be good at that, like work towards that goal. So if you want to be good at flowing and statics, you're probably gonna have to do a little bit of both, you're gonna have to break some bands out, you're gonna have to do some things, but you just have to figure out what always motivates you what keeps you happy, what keeps you eager to train, what keeps you coming back for more. I think that's way more important than whatever program you do. It's just, just accepting who you are, accepting where you're at on the journey. Like, so like, it shouldn't be like, Oh, you know, don't always focus on the carrot at the end of the stick. Mm. Just, just have fun, be where you are. Like you're always going to want more. So don't focus on what's in the future. Just focus on where you're at now and do like, Every day when I go in the gym, my only goal is to do something better than I've ever done before or different than I've ever done before. I don't care if it's like just, you know, like slightly better form and something I've done before. Mm. I just have to do that every time. And what I'm doing by doing that is 
I'm being honest with myself and I have to figure out every day what my body is capable of on that given day. Cause I don't want to go into a gym with like preconceived notion of what I'm supposed to do, or it'd be like, I have to do this because some random person wrote this on a sheet of paper and charged me $50 <laughs> to like email it to me or something like that. I don't think that's beneficial to me, my mind, my training st strategy or anything like that. I just want to go in there and get maximum results out of my body for what it is capable on that day. And that's the only goal. So I think that's a good approach to training. Figure out what works best for you. Figure out who you want to become. Try Once you get somewhat of that in mind, just be honest with who you are. Figure out people to mimic. Like Just learn how to copy movement patterns. And if you're an auditory learner, visual learner, anything like that, if you are doing something visual with your body, you're, you're going to have to, you're going to have to study visually. You just, you can't, you can't learn this auditory, you know, yeah. there's no auditory yeah. <laughs> learning process for this. So yeah. you're going to have to teach yourself how, like watch, study, 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 and teach yourself how to convert sight into movement. You're going mm. to have to learn no matter what, that's my one rule for everyone. You're going to have to learn how to learn visually and for movement. That's it. Everything else though, it's just keeping yourself happy, healthy, and motivated to train without needing external motivation. You, sh you should be psyched to do this. You should be obsessed with it. And if you're not, just find what makes you obsessed. Why the fuck? Why do you, why do you want to spend your life doing shit? You're not obsessed with like do stuff you're obsessed with make time go away. Like if you're watching the clock, you're doing the wrong thing. Like you should be mm -hmm. doing the thing where you go in there and it's like two hours later, you're like, Oh no, I missed my appointment. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah dude i i'm really really enjoying this you hearing you speak about this philosophy and I'm, I'm so glad that you go on the way that you go and you're speaking about this stuff because for me it's 100 the more we can take this enjoyment and this passion and this you know healthy addiction into the things that make our bodies thrive and make us feel awesome and make us feel fulfilled and make us feel like we're powerful and we're capable of learning the things that we want to learn in order to get what we want out of life the more fitness can go in that direction as opposed to the how long do I have to run the treadmill in order to get what I want and I hate running on the treadmill. I'm like, let's go, let's go that way. So, yeah. and also I like how you're talking about the fact that you don't have to do reps and sets because mm. I know for me, when I first started learning, like I am more of a reps and sets guy. When I first started mm. learning, I would go so, so, so far down the, but how many do I do? Just tell me, I, I don't know how many, what's right I don't know how many. And that would keep me like analysis paralysis for years mm -hmm. to the point where I was way less effective in my training. And so if you're someone listening that doesn't respond as well to the constraints of doing what is right and you feel like it's boring and you're showing up day in, day out, day in, day out, and just doing the same kind of thing or calculating your one rep max percentages and building a whole program based on that, if you don't love that, then you've got this other way of training. You've got this exploration style way of training you've got just like i'm going to do and try and do this until my body is tired and then i'm going to mm -hmm. come back and do it again and i'm going to try and do it a little bit better there's not just one way that you have to do this stuff there's many 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 different ways and this process of discovery can not only help you do more badass training skills but also discover yourself more and how you'd like to learn things so i think this is super powerful what you're talking about man I actually have a cool cheat code if if like if yeah. people do prefer reps and sets it's a it's a cool way of looking at it that i always really enjoyed looking at it so whether it be for dynamic skills for static skills for anything like you know endurance based skills or just general hypertrophy skills where you just want to look better mm. it's there's going to be a kind of a, a 
it's always going to be like a pretty similar average, but you'll, you'll find a, find an average that that's most suited to your body or to your skill level based on whatever you're trying to, and it's always going to be time under tension and tempo of movement. So if you, if you are struggling with reps and sets, so you can ask yourself, maybe if you're working on dynamics, you know, like you're going to have to spend time under tension, like at maximal time under tension for the movement you're performing. If, if you want to work on statics, again, you're going to have to spend time under tension. If you're working hypertrophy, you're going to, and it's all going to work out to about the same. So if you look at it for rate of, of, uh, of exertion versus time under tension, there's always going to be a balance. So high rate of exertion, it's going to be lower time under tension, you know, like endurance sets, you know, lower rate of exertion, higher time under tension. So it's just think of it as two scales, how hard you're trying, how long you're doing. And then the movement should always be as controlled and, you know, as controlled in the tempo that is appropriate to your movement. So if you're doing dynamics, it should never be sloppy. It should be per at perfectly controlled. So use a shape, use, use, use a, use a, you know, a, an angle, use anything in your dynamic efforts that can keep you as controlled in your tempo through a full range of motion as possible. Anything you're doing, endurance, same thing, tempo, you might go faster, you might go slower, but you're going to have to use as control, as much control as is possible. So always, always have maximum control that will generally dictate your tempo because you just certain things you just won't be able to do at maximum control for the same amount of time. So just think, how hard am I trying? And, you know, how long do I have to have to before I run out of energy while trying that? So that's really the cheat code for everything. It's always amount, amount of effort, amount of time under tension. That's it. Absolutely, dude. And then yeah. just learn, learn, learn the rep ranges. You know, learn like you know, strength, dynamic, ever you know, hypertrophy and endurance. And once you have like a general knowledge of that, it's, it's real simple. Just time under tension versus rate of rate of exertion. That's it. Absolutely, and also understanding that there's no right or wrong within there. If you were doing something that is a higher intensity, by definition, you can't do it for as long, so it's okay to do it for less time. And that's where your five by fives and your 10 by twos and all that kind of stuff comes in or your, your five to 10 second front lever holds and all that kind of stuff comes in versus if you want to do 20 reps of something, you're going to get a more pump and all that kind of stuff, but you're not going to be able to do nearly as high intensity stuff. So it's also okay that you can just pick whatever you want to do for that particular day or for that particular training block or however you want to split it up. And then you can just do that. And generally, when you, even if you look at the research and stuff like that, there's not that much difference in terms of hypertrophy, strength outcomes and stuff like that when you equate it across a pretty wide range of rep ranges. More so for hypertrophy, mm -hmm. you've got a big, really big, yeah. big range. Strength is a little bit more high intensity, low time, um, yeah. low time under tension, but you've really, really got a range to play with. And there's yeah. also blending between those two i have one more fun cheat code too yes like the, 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 the master the master rate if, if you would say like this is mm -hmm. this is my favorite this is what i find works the best in terms of just holistic development you're going to be safer better joint health stronger honestly better better aesthetics everything's going to max out and i can cons i consider it dynamic isometrics so like what i would like to say is like what, what I think works best, especially when you're beginning, and honestly, it might work best at every, is as slow as possible. Like rather than, like, rather than doing uh, like say high range, high rep muscle ups or something like that, go for a minute muscle up. So perfectly mm. smooth muscle up pace, you know, 
30 seconds up 30 seconds down film yourself and then speed it up to this to the pace of of one muscle up and make sure that it looks perfectly smooth so like that's something i i love like like that you could do like handstand push-ups rather than doing like a set of 10 do one handstand push-up for 45 seconds mm. you know like so so essentially like what i like about that style of training is it carries over really well to dynamic strength it can, it, somehow it makes you crazy explosive i find um, you're essentially holding an isometric throughout each incremental step of the entire range of motion. And you're working endurance and you're working hypertrophy because you're getting maximum amount of blood flow into the muscle. You're getting, you know, maximum damage to the muscle. Fire. You, you, everything, I think everything maxes out. Like, I, th I really think that if I had to choose anything, it would always be as slow as possible through a complete range of motion any day over, over higher rep stuff. Yeah, nice. And just, I'd love to kind of package some of this stuff as well because you're, you're, there's so much gold in what you're saying as well. And I just want to kind of make sure that people are getting some take-home stuff as well. So if you if you want to incorporate some of this stuff into your training, first of all, understanding that you don't have to do a particular number of sets and reps in order to do it. You can explore different positions. You can try and variate stuff by doing it with better form. You can try and vary it by doing different variations or different angles of it. You can also incorporate this, you know, whether you want to call it dynamic, isometric, or super slow training in which you're exposing yourself to so much more time under tension of the most mm. difficult parts of the movement, but also of the entire movement as well. So because there's more positional strength training going on as well you're spending a lot of time going through each different position you're going to really really build an amazing amount of strength and high you know ability to produce high amounts of force through your entire range of motion so these are all really cool you know and if you combine that with some of the archer stuff that we're talking about as well you know what i mean you yeah. can really start to build a, a complete picture slow of, archers yeah, yeah. exactly of, of what kind of training tools that you can really take away from this episode and yeah go what I what I like about the slow I like the really slow pace too, like the really controlled paces, you're going to find places to rest within the movement pattern. That is so crucial to advancing, mm -hmm. is learning how to rest under maximal effort. So there are places like, you know, there are places that don't look like a rest place at all, but you know, by by really understanding the full range of motion, it's not all the same. Like stop thinking thinking of these things as a single skill. Mm -hmm. there's they're vast nice. like a handstand is not a handstand they are vast like there's endless variations and then within each variation there are places where you can rest there are places where there's so many tricks and so many hacks and really explore everything and like yeah go slow because if you go slow that will really open your eyes to places where you can rest places where you're gonna have to struggle places where you can hide movement flaws where you could cheat movement a little you know, like you'll maybe, maybe like a muscle up, you might learn how to, oh, wow, I could just do a little thoracic kip and it will never, it'll never come across as a kip to anyone else. But, you know, it's just me, arch hollow, and it'll just snap you above uh, uh, the rings. You know, there's, there's so nice. many tricks and little technical hacks you can figure out just by going slow. Dude, awesome. Yes, full range of motion. I love it. I love it. The other thing that really jumps out to me, especially as you're speaking now, but even as I was doing the prep for this podcast as well, is just how you come at skill training and learning skills from a very different angle to a lot of other people, especially when it comes to like the handstand, for example. You know, we mentioned your muscle up and, you know, your different technique for learning that. And when it comes to handstand stuff, a lot of the kind of the the influence for handstand training comes from gymnastics, where everything is like super straight line, super straight tight body. 
and hold for long durations, use the wall, all this different kind of stuff. But when I look at your handstand training video, which I'm going to, you've got a few of them, but I'll link a couple of them in the show notes as well because they're really excellent. You have a much more ground up, you know, almost strength-based yeah, I'm approach. I'm so glad you said it that way. To, to getting somebody into the handstand position that's completely different from your straight line, you know, just work the chest wall and just hold that. And, you know, your sets and reps and all this different kind of stuff. So I'd love to talk a little bit about your handstand philosophy, how you think about yes. the handstand as a movement, and then also how you introduce people to training. Because I think it'd be really valuable for people that are getting a bit frustrated with their handstand training, that's kicking up, flopping over, kicking up, flopping over, and they want to be able to awesome. use it in the ways that you do it. I think kicking up into a handstand is an advanced skill. I think it should be mm -hmm. learned later yes. on. So, like, so my approach to handstanding is absolutely the way you put it ground up. So I think the handstand journey should go like this. So you're going to start your handstand in a frog stand, bent arms, work to straight arms, crow stand, bent arm, work to straight arms, bent arm handstand, you know, and just incrementally start, you know, bent arm handstand with a tuck and just incrementally start bending your arms less and less. It's about a two month process on average to like anyone with like decent like basic level of fitness if you have like a basic level of fitness you're not like maybe you didn't play video games your whole life maybe you know like even if you're 30 years old you, you know you played a little sports growing up something like that i think anyone with that level of fitness can get to the point of doing a handstand push-up within about two months if you learn from the ground up and while learning that there's also first things first also while look because you're just in a frog stand you're you're close to the ground you don't have to worry about falling or anything but while doing that you should also learn how to cartwheel and a great way to learn how to do that, you just incrementally learn how to cartwheel. And then the only thing I think the wall should be used for regularly is learning how to bail out of handstand. So, you know, stomach to the wall, go about like maybe like two feet off the wall, have one leg on the wall, hang another leg over your head until it flips you over and just learn how to cartwheel out. Because handstands are incredibly safe. So like, let's say this is the front side of my body, like my belly button side. Mm -hmm. like you don't have to worry about falling stomach down like you just put your feet down the, the whole risk and again gaming the fear response is people are terrified of flipping over and landing on their backs and if you're in a straight arm like the only time you should ever worry about flipping over and landing on your back is if you're in a wide handstand like a super wide handstand like an inverted mm -hmm. cross you have to roll out of it there you, you your hands are out here you can't post a hand and cartwheel or if you're at the bottom of if you if you're like really doing like super deep handstand push-ups like you're just down here you're not going to be able to post mm. a hand and cartwheel out you'll probably hurt your shoulder doing it but everything else i mean it's really just boom and cartwheel and reach for the ground so like i always kick up with my right leg whatever leg you're naturally going to gravitate towards kicking up with the opposite hand and opposite side will always be your bell side. So I always know in a handstand, unless I'm in a one-arm handstand, if I'm in a two-arm handstand, I'm always bailing to my left 100% of the time. I never have to think about it. My, it's just, it's, it's, it's automatic. My left hand goes forward. My, my left foot reaches for the ground. Never think about it. It's as safe as could be. Never have to worry. So that's why I think immediately, like while you're learning frog and then crow stand, take that time. Get, get up against the wall. Walk your feet up a wall. You know, spend a little time like, you know, developing, you know, you know, that's that, you know, your your shoulder strength and everything and locked arms, everything like that. And then just learn how to cartwheel, push yourself off the wall, dangle a foot over your head, learn how to cartwheel. One, while you're doing that, once you start getting into the bent arm phase, start experimenting with walking, 
so you can even use the wall, like walk up and instead of like cartwheeling out when you hang your foot over this time, have a garbage banana back and start learning how to walk. Because walking, people think walking is more advanced. Walking is just controlled falling. It's way harder to hold a stable, like perfect line handstand than it is to walk. Walking's just basically every time you're about to fall, let your legs keep pulling you over and let your hands walk forward with you. So learn how to walk. And then really by then, you know, you're in the bent arm handstand, you just bend your arms less and less. And then pretty soon you'll just be like, oh, I can get up into a handstand. Sure, your line won't be perfect. Maybe you don't even have enough shoulder extension at that point. But it doesn't matter. Just hold a banana back handstand. And also, if you learn from the ground up, once you're at that point, again, should take about two months on average. You can automatically already do a handstand push-up. Is it a great handstand push-up? Might only be a quarter rep. But the point is, you can already do that. And then, you know, like later on, start kicking up into a handstand. When you're working on planche, when you're working on like, things like press entries and stuff like that that's when you should start learning because kicking up is there's a lot going on again you don't do dynamics before you can do the stat like I, it's just it's silly it's like trying to do it's like i think kicking up into a handstand is like trying to do a muscle up before you can even do a, a not even a pull-up but a ring row because that's what i would consider a frog stand you know like frog stand is the equivalent of just standing upright and basically just doing a row but like kicking up into a handstand, like before you can do that, it's like doing a muscle up, trying to do a muscle up before you can even do that. So yeah, master that and then start kicking up and then, and then, you know, like then start playing with that once your shoulder, because kicking up is tricky. You got to like, you know, like change the angle of your body. Your shoulder has to go forward. Then your body has to come back. You have to start like, you know, doing stuff like that. You have to move in unison. You really have to learn complex movement patterns and you're just not like, it's so much easier to enter a handstand slowly and controlled because again, handstands are all about conquering fear. So when you first start learning how to balance on a handstand, your fear response is you're going to over respond and overcorrect to every single stimulus that will like trigger the falling fear. So the second you think you're falling out of a handstand, you're always going to overcorrect in the beginning. So mm. there's a very valuable process there where you're just learning to maybe use 10% of what you what you would automatically do whatever whatever your instinct is use 10 percent of it and it's going to take you time to start like you know getting yourself to only use such a small fraction of what you think you should do and then once you learn to control that that's when you should start like once you can you learn how to like actually stabilize and rebalance a handstand and, and really you know like get get used to the fear response stop overcorrecting, using 10 percent about you know about 10 percent of what you think you should correct with that's when you should start learning how to kick into a handstand. Because even if you kick in, if you don't have all that, you're always going to overcorrect. You're just going to keep reinforcing bad, bad learning patterns, bad movement patterns. But if you start entering with that, you like it's really easy to learn how to kick into a handstand once you learn how to rebalance a handstand because you just kick up that much, kick up that much, kick up that much, kick up. Oh, look, oh, just a quick balance correction. Oh, oh easy, done. You just sequentially kick in and it's like it's, it might take you a day. But if you mm. keep trying to kick into a handstand, it might take you six years. It might take you 10 years. You know, like if, if you never develop the strength and never develop like the response to the fear of falling, it, it might take you forever. You might never get a handstand. Mm. But if you just spend that two months, work your way from the ground up once you're in the handstand. And you're, a good part thing about the bent arm handstand is you're going to learn how to stop overcorrecting at the bent arm because it's easier, it's easier to correct in a bent arm because, again, you're shorter. Mm. And then... Once you're all the way up there, it's, it, all those patterns of the bent arm are just going to keep working their way up into the full handstand. And then as soon as you're there, it's really just 
kick a little, kick a little more, kick a little more, kick up to enough where you could just float it and then just use your balance skills, use your correction skills and it's done. This is super interesting, man. I, and again, just to contextualize a little bit more, what it feels like is that your approach compared to, you know, the more classic gymnastics, start in the straight line, use the wall, build up your straight line handstand and that whole thing. And then learning how to rebalance primarily with the wrists. That is a, some people don't think of a handstand as a strength move at all. Some people think of it as a, as a low skill, sorry, as a low strength, high skill movement. And coming at it from learning the straight line perspective first requires a lot less strength than doing the way that you are, that you are an advocate of. And please correct me if you feel like you disagree as well. But to start to learn to press up out of a crow stand into a bent arm handstand and then press up is going to definitely require more strength. Much but the, more. Adva- the advantage of building it that way is that one, you know, if you don't, if you never ever build the strength in your shoulders and your scapula and your arms and, and your forearms, you're going to have a far less margin for error. And as soon as you leave that straight on straight, straight line alignment, your ability to save that is all requ- like incumbent on your nervous system response time because you don't mm-hmm. have the strength to save yourself in a wider range of positions. So you do need a lot more skill to balance and to catch in that correct position every single time. Coming at it from the ground up might take you, if you have very little upper body strength, it might take you a longer time to build that upper body strength. But the advantage is that you're rebalancing from day one. You're mm-hmm. using everything. You're building the strength from day one as well so that your range in which you can balance is enormous. It might not look like the prettiest straight line handstand from the very get-go against the wall. You're going to be in all kinds of different shapes and stuff like that, but you're building that shoulder conditioning, forearm, wrist, arm conditioning from the very get-go and learning to control yourself balancing under load. And the more that you're able to get that, you're going to be able to save yourself. You're going to be able to catch yourself in all these different positions because you're strong in a wide variety of positions and you've got the strength to be able to hold yourself. And if you look at B-boys, for example, break dancers, they're they've got capoeiristas for example they've got an amazing Mm -hmm. ability to balance handstands never having once learned you know toe pulls from a wall or anything like that because they're so strong in so many different positions and it's just again understanding that there's not just one way to learn things you can learn in many many Mm -hmm. different ways and maybe if one one approach isn't working for you you can maybe try another one like this so i really i think it's really interesting what you're talking about yeah, anyone who tells you there's one way, they're just gatekeeping. Like, you know, maybe they're trying to protect protect their bottom line, protect their teaching income, protect, you know, like they're keeping the lights on. I, like, I've never mm. been in a gymnastic gym, and of course they produce high-level results. But, you know, structured learning that works exactly the same way takes a little while. I mean, good, it's a good way to pay to rent. Uh, you know, like, I don't know. Like, no no, no hate whatsoever. Gym, gymnasts are unbelievable with what they do. But so, like, my one-arm handstand, I've only been doing one arm handstands for 10 months now, you know, like, so like you can develop these things really quick. Like you can develop a lot of these things really quick. So like another misconception that people have. So like my whole methodology that it's, it's just my go-to I've been developing for years now is like the uneven. So I always have one lever to equalizer and like, you know, I like to use that like with, with or without the BOSU ball. And I use that method to progress people towards the one arm handstand. So a good friend of mine, she got her first handstand in May of this year. So like mid-May was her first first handstand where she free balanced it. She is already on the Bosu ball. She's approaching, she's she's at like the one second hold on one arm now since yeah. May of this year. 
Yeah, and it's just all about like you start working immediately on the uh, the uneven using the equalizer. People think it's so much more difficult, and it is on scapula strength. So what it's going to do is it's going to once you can get into the handstand, now you got the bent arm strength worked on. Now you got to start working on straight arm strength, and that's all scapula elevation and scapula positioning and and stability and all that. So by using one arm high, what you're doing is you now have like almost like you know you can have some lat connection. You can almost act, you know approach it like an elbow lever. Mm. and you know like you have the wider footing so like you now rather than just this you have this whole wide base with feet on it for stability and then you have the one arm working primarily in strength so the balance is easier but the strength is way more difficult on the shoulders so now you will gradually develop the strength and you're going to get way better at handstand so she most of her work and most of her shape work has come from doing uneven training because since you will get much stronger, able to hold much longer handstands, because you know you're going to be working both sides equally. So again, archers get mm. to uh, get to like unilateral training as soon as possible. So now you're getting the maximal overload on one scapula on one shoulder, but the balance is easier because on the other arm you got you you know you can you can bring your elbow in, you can do all sorts of stuff. You know, wide elbow, you can punch it out into an archer there to improve your balance to get to the one arm but you got this wide footing. So it's much easier for you to balance. And then you're going to get much better at your shape changes, much better at like stacking your body above the arm. And it's just, it's people see it as more difficult, but it's actually like, I think the second somebody has a handstand, they should immediately get to uneven training because mm -hmm. why not? Like why, why sit there trying to develop your handstand the hard way when you could get your shoulders way strong. That's why I use a BOSU ball every single time I train in a, in a one arm, just cause like it gets my shoulders so much stronger. Why wouldn't I want super titanium shoulders that then mm -hmm. carry over into the flag? They carry over into everything else. It's the BOSU is essential. Once you master like, you know, like parallel or hand on the floor with the uneven and you can, and you can get out, stack it, you know, punch the, punch it out to immediately add a BOSU, start strengthening your shoulders that way. The instability, once you add in that chaos, it's over. It's, it, you just get so much stronger immediately and your balance, everything gets better. And like, so like people, people have such these, these crazy notions, like, no, you should learn learn handstands the hard way up. So learn the bent arm strength aspect of it that people struggle with so much. And and people say that they're doing it every day. They don't. They go back to the wall and they just keep working it that way. But if you just apply yourself and really, really do it consistently for two months, I'm telling you, the average person is going to get into a handstand and get the ability to do a quarter rep handstand push-up. The second you get there, get onto the uneven training. I mean, honestly, even if you even if you only have a bent arm handstand, it's not going to harm you to like if if you can hold on the wall, get on the uneven training. It might help your two arm handstand because mm -hmm. again, you're going to get way stronger in each shoulder while you're working it, and you're going to have a much better base to balance with, and you're going to have the ability to to pull your elbow in for an elbow levers type support. Huge. It's also going to make you better at human flags, and it's just going to allow you to spend more time under tension. And then once you're not worried about falling so much, then you can work on shape changes, proper shape patterning, proper positioning proper hip angle going into flexion going in and out of flexion changing rotating hip pattern changing body angle well, you know start working on the anti-rotate again like anything one arm is so much rotation and anti-rotation if you're doing a mm -hmm. one-arm pull-up one of the hardest aspects is you know controlling the rotation yeah yeah that's why people like do their one-arm pull-ups with like an arm out here you're not controlling the rotation like if you have a band and you're doing a band like out here on a one-arm pull-up no you're not controlling the rotation the band should be right here mm, yeah you know, nice. like and for people listening you Instead of putting the arm out to the side on a one-arm pull, he's put it right next to the arm that's pulling. 
Yeah, so you start working on the uh, controlling the rotational aspect. The same applies to the one-arm handstand because in the beginning, you're going to be belly to the bar, almost like a flag handstand. And then you're going to start shifting away from the bar a little. Then you're going to start turning your body sideways. Once your body's sideways, then you're going to drift out more until you're stacked. So it's all about controlling the rotation. And then once you take your hand off, then you're going to just keep rotating back. So it's all about developing the anti-rotation. If you want to be good on one, one limb, you're going to have to learn to fight and control the rotation. And that's why it's so essential to get to these things immediately, immediately, immediately. Don't spend your time on the wall because it looks most like a handstand. Mm. Dude, this is fascinating. And so, thank you. yeah, man, I'm really, really enjoying this. So I know you don't really think in terms of sets and reps, but what kind of frequency, if we think about you know, frequency and RPE or like, you know, level of intensity that you're training at, if someone, if you're like, someone's listening, like, cool, I've done a little bit of handstand stuff before, but I feel like I'm not making progress. I want to try this ground up strength-based approach. I'm going to start in my frog stand and I'm going to move to my crow stand and I'm going to start to try and press off that into a bent arm handstands. What kind of frequency do you encourage people to work on if they don't have the kind of wrist conditioning and they're kind of coming off, off the couch? every day that they're capable of working on it. So nice. let's say, let's say if you only work out four days a week, maybe, maybe you can do it immediately four days. Because again, you don't have to do that much. I'm not saying spend like spend as much. I would say every day, I would say every mm-hmm. time you work out, spend as much time as you can comfortably spend working on these. Like, so I worked on uh, one arm handstands for like two years and like, you know, I got some progress, but I didn't get anywhere. But then like, once I started, you know, a good friend of mine, uh, KP, the specimen, he, unbelievable. Like if anyone wants to see him, KP, the specimen Cruz, unbelievable how good he is. He was just like, yeah, do it every day. What are you doing? Like, just work on it every day. Two weeks later, I'm balancing one arms. No problem. Just because I was thinking, oh, man, I'll, go, I'll do it a little. Oh, maybe I'll do it again. This, eh, maybe today is a good day. But just if you want something, do it every day. Like if somebody held a gun to your head and was like, hey, Fernandez, you got to acquire this skill and you got like, you, you need to get it as fast as possible. You, you're going to work on it. Like eh, maybe I'll set myself a schedule as much as I, as much as you can every day, every mm-hmm. day, as much as you can and as much as you're motivated to it. So if you want to hands like do it every day, do, do it to the amount where you stay healthy and then you stay motivated. So as, yeah, as much as, as much as your body will allow every day and as much as your mind will allow every day, but do it to the frequency. That's my recommendation every available opportunity do it if you want it and it'll just come quicker just don't Mm -hmm. do as much of it you know like again that's the problem with i think i think like steroids and like bodybuilding (laughs) magazines really screwed up people's uh understanding of programming because they all think like (laughs) oh you got to do these individual body parts there's got to be like 13 different exercises sets within (laughs) them this that the like yeah i don't know maybe do like maybe do like 15 minutes of frog and crow, you know, for the day. That's it. That's, that's fine. You know, maybe, you know, like, let's say you're working out for 45 minutes. Okay. You know, maybe you're not doing that many things. Maybe you're working out for two hours. Maybe you're working, you know, whatever you work out for. Let's say you only work out for 45 minutes. Okay. You know, like you don't have to warm up. You're just going like this on the floor. If your wrists hurt like this, use parallettes, you know, it'll be a lot more comfortable. You don't have to warm up. I mean, the frog stand and the crow stand is a warm up. So rather than warming up, just incorporate easy balances like that. I mean, anyone can do a frog or, you know, crow stand will take a little more effort, but anyone can do a frog. I've taught frog to like 80 year olds like that Mm. within, 
within like literally just here, here you go. Just do it like this, get them in the right position, teach them rather than ripping their feet off the ground, get on the ballet toes and then just bring their feet together, close the kinetic chain. So they're not, you know, letting kinetic energy out. If they're a little afraid of falling, you know, get close to a wall. We're in your full position. You're only about that far off the wall. So you can just tap the wall and come back to balance. Like literally I've gotten 80 year olds in frogs den within like two minutes. It's wow. not challenging. It's a warm up. Just, just do it as a warm up. you know, like whatever you can do, just do it every day to build a habit. But, you know, at the end of the day, really what you're doing, these are skills, there's strength, there's all of that aspect, but people, you know, like when you first start weightlifting, you first start training, you have that initial explosion of strength that you think the rest of your life will be like, Oh, I got that. I gained like 50 pounds on my bench press <laughs> this week. Yeah. 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 Good yeah. luck with that for the rest of your life. Enjoy, yeah. enjoy the first month while it lasts. Every new calisthenic skill is essentially that because they're so far, especially hand balancing. Because not only is it foreign, but you're upside down, you're, everything's a bit. So like, just because it's difficult one session doesn't mean it's, it's going to be a lot easier the next session. Because really what you're doing, do it with a high frequency because you're just trying to create you know, the neurons. You're trying to connect the neurons to the motor units of your muscle. You're trying to innervate and electrify as many motor units in your muscle as possible and gain as much control of them as possible. So you have to do this with immersion. Think of it like someone who's going to a language class like two days a week versus somebody who's dropped off in a foreign country and has full immersive learning. You want to give yourself immersive learning so you can create as much, you know, new, wire your brain to control your body. The soul, whatever, is what drives you, animates you. This is the computer of the vehicle. This is the vehicle. Just just create as many electrical connections and you just you're you're hot rod you know you're like whatever i don't i don't know anything about cars but you're like i don't i don't, I don't know you're you're like I have no you're, idea. you're souping it up i i don't know anything about cars you're you're modding your car just you know improve your electrical connections brain to body and just do that's through frequency immerse yourself and yeah. do it every day that's it just as much as you can for as long as you can stay healthy and as long as you can stay mentally motivated and not be watching the clock when it feels like a chore do something else mm. nice man i think that's a really sound principle for people to be because again any any recommendation of sets and reps or whatever it is is just going to be so individualized that it's gonna it's gonna be great for some people and shit for somebody else as well so you know when when you do start something like this you know my perspective on warming up and stuff like that and i'd mm -hmm. love to see if you agree or if you disagree is that some people will need to warm up more than others and what is warm up for someone is going to be somebody else's workout and what is a workout for somebody else is going to be someone else's warm-up so yeah go can we pause for one second Sure. Like, yeah, because uh, it's post production. My son is calling to say goodnight. Could I exit the meeting and come back and, and redo it? And yeah, that's going? cool. That's yeah, no worries, man. That's all good. I'll, okay, I'm gonna exit for one second, call my son, and then I'll uh, I'll I'll, I'll come right. Just enter it through the same link, right? Yeah, beautiful. I'll stay on, man. Awesome. Okay, perfect. I'll be right back. I'm so no sorry. No worries, man. Not all good. Okay. Okay. I'll chat soon. Uh, I don't even know how to get out. <laughs> <laughs> I can end the meeting too. No, no, I'll figure it out. I'll just exit. Okay. I think. Yeah. I'll leave. Okay, there we go. Bye. I see. Uh, wait, oh my God, how to leave. Okay. <laughs> I'll chat to you soon. Boom. Um, yeah, no, nah, man, please don't apologize for that. That's, yeah, I love that you just jumped on chat and took a quick chat to your son. Um, yeah, but I was just saying on the, on the warm-up thing. So, you know, what is, what is somebody's, some people will need to warm up more than others. 
you might need to warm up more for what particular movement for your body than another movement's what is considered a warm up for somebody is going to be someone else's workout and what is considered a workout for someone is going to be someone else's warm up so you know what i mean so for you you might be at the level of conditioning and work capacity and joint preparation that you can jump straight into a handstand and for someone listening you might be at that point too and that's totally fine you might not need to do a thousand you know everything warm up and, and stuff like that just for the sake of doing it you might be able to jump straight into it and still get the benefit out of it what i love about what you're saying is just doing it as much as you can do it and that's always just thinking about your own body like i are if, jumping into this is my performance suffering or do my just joints hurt straight away for me i know that if i jump straight into like a press handstand session my joints are like no way so i do i i personally feel like i need to warm my wrists and forearms up before i do that particular movement whereas Mm -hmm. for some other stuff on the rings i don't really feel like i need to warm up as much if i'm just doing a shoulder stand you know what i mean i'm like oh that's a warm up i can just press up into that exactly that is a warm up yeah yeah exactly that's fine for me but for someone who's doesn't have the bicep conditioning for that or the shoulder conditioning that might be like whoa you want to warm up before you do that so I just wanted to kind of highlight that for people listening as well. It's the same thing with the frequency as well. Depending on your work capacity and how long you've been training for, how much other stress you have in your life, your recovery, your sleep, your nutrition, how hard you're training, all of that stuff is more going to affect how frequently you can train. So the most important thing is, and again, just bring it back to what Raymond said, like just do it as often as you can manage it. And your body will tell yeah. you if you're doing it too often or if, or if maybe you're getting bored with it or if you're not, so if you can do it more often, see how your body responds. You might be pleasantly surprised. And I think like the warm up, that's your time to experiment, especially if you're new to training. Experiment mm. with warming up. Figure yeah. out which way you feel best. Like again, no matter what, there is no cookie cutter. There is no one size fits all. We're all going to have different levels of joint. Plus, some people just have hyperlaxity in their joints. Some people yeah. are just like you know, they, they can do anything. They they they're contortionists like without even trying. You know, they yeah. they're just hypermobile. Like yeah. you can, they they obviously won't need as much joint prep. You know, maybe maybe you have existing wrist injuries. Maybe you played video games. Maybe you played sports. Maybe 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 you had a weird injury recently. Like we're all gonna have to do different things. Like I don't do well in cold. I can't work out in cold. Mm-hmm. You know, like I prefer working out in a hundred degrees out in direct sunlight. Maybe some people can't do that. It all depends on who you are. Again, while mimicking. In order to allow yourself to mimic, I think a very important thing is figure out what you're capable of, who you are, what animates you, what you're drawn to, and what you're just, – just figure out who you are. While you're learning to be like someone else, learn who you are at that moment, mm. and then you will meet yourself later on. So you learn who you are when you started as you're making your journey towards becoming someone else. Then once you start like you know, like seeing yourself in that person's shoes, seeing yourself acquiring that – this who you were is going to start catching up with who you're seeing and then once you're there now you can just like play and just really develop yourself as a whole so i don't warm up the only reason i don't warm up is because if i don't respect and i'm not a little bit afraid of what i'm doing that's when i tend to get injured because i'm just i'm not mentally present i'm not taking it as seriously Mm -hmm. so like there's a few times where i just tried to warm up with dead hangs i was just like not paying attention i was like oh my shoulder's a little tight ouch you know like i or i'd cramp i'd cramp a lat you know like or just something stupid just because for me i have to like the one arm hands i'm not going to do an amazing flow pattern but i do that just because i'm a little afraid of it and i know it's going to immediately excite my nervous system Mm. that said 
getting inverted, whether it be a headstand, you know, any type of handstand, even just getting inverted and getting that blood injury, I'd go, go on the rings and do a, do, you know, like an inverted candlestick, you know, do something like that. Getting the blood into your head, getting in, it's just a great way to excite the nervous system. And so much of what we do is so dependent on the central nervous system, like glycogen levels in it, like stress levels in it. Getting that blood into into your, your head and really like getting that, ser- that central nervous system turned on, great idea. Another great thing to do for your warming up or anything, really work on like grip stuff. The tighter you can grip, the more you can white knuckle grip. You get that neural drive, you know, and then that's going to, again, feedback. You know, at the end of the limbs, tight grip, tight, tight connection between the central nervous system. When I'm doing hand balancing, if you're doing hand balancing, a great thing to warm up with as you're approaching more complicated things is really locking those legs in place, really extending at the ankles, really putting tension into those, really just, mm. again, white knuckling, same thing. You can do the same thing with your feet. You want to create tension. If you're not connected, create tension in the ends of the limb to just provide feedback into the central nervous system and activate the central nervous system. So that's that, there's so many ways you can warm up. Some people might warm up by like music. You can use music. You can use some people eat before work. I always work out fasted. You know, like we're all different. We're all unique. Figure it out and just do what works for you and learn yourself. Learn yourself. If you want to become someone else, you damn sure better know who you started out with. You can't become yeah. something greater than who you were if you don't know who you are when you start. So figure out who you are so that you can become better than who you are. Absolutely, man. And yeah, I think, you know, just, just like you're saying, like find what is true for you. That's, you know, I really love the, that phrase. Actually a previous guest on my podcast just said that. I love that phrase, like find what is true for you. And, you know, if you're in the beginning of your handstand journey and you've never been upside down before, maybe getting inverted in the very beginning, well, that's going to be like your, that's your max. You know what I mean? So you don't want to start there, but you can warm up in other ways. So it's always about like taking whatever you're hearing on something like this and just being like, okay, how can I apply this to my situation? How true is this for me? Where do I need to modify this stuff for my own personal thing? And again, that's the fucking learning journey and that's the best bit. That's the beautiful bit. So, dude, and again, I love that you can just always bring it back to do it as often as you can. I'm just like, that's just- Yeah, and the same thing applies to nutrition and diet, I think too. I mean, like, I mean, there is, like at the end of the day, as long as you're not eating processed foods, like I'm a long time vegan, but I'm not, it's not for health. That's just like a totally spiritual thing for me. Like you can be healthy in anything you do. Like it doesn't matter as long as you're not eating processed foods, as long as you're eating like whole foods, as little human interaction as possible. Obviously there's always going to be some level of human interaction. The more you minimize the human interaction, the more you use real ingredients, the healthier you'll be. It's really simple. Don't overeat. Obviously there's calories in calories out. Yeah. So like, just don't overeat, you know, eat minimally processed foods and then really just figure out what you love eating, figure out what, you know, the healthiest foods that you can palate and that you can tolerate and the foods that you really love. If you want to get healthier with that, figure out a way to make those foods healthier and just, there you go. That's your diet. You don't need all this complex nutrition, all this just Figure out the, 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 you know, how much you eat during the day, like how, how you feel. I feel like shit if I eat on a full stomach. I don't like digesting. Okay, mm-hmm. that works for me. It doesn't work for you. And you like eating before a workout. You don't like being hangry. Like you don't like the feeling of an empty stomach. Eat. And, you know, just <laughs> minimal processed foods. Figure out what you love to eat and like figure out the healthiest foods you love to eat. And for the foods that you love to eat that aren't healthy, rather than cutting them out of your life, you're making yourself better, figure out a way to make those foods better. 
So you're making a healthier you, make a healthier version of the food. I mean, yeah, you know, a baked donut is it's not nearly as good as a, as like a deep fried donut if donuts are your thing. Whatever, you know what? Smaller sacrifices. A baked donut's a hell of a lot better than no donut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Figure out what figure out how you love to train, figure out how you love to eat and build your approach around that. I love And I love again, that. be honest with where you're at. As you acquire more muscle and you get leaner, you got a lot more leeway. Your metabolism's gonna change, your nutritional demands change. The same thing. As you acquire skill on the journey. You know, like your ability is going to change. What a warm up is to you is going to change. What you're going to be working on, the duration of the workout, the, the the frequency of the workout, how much how much output you can do is going to change. But one thing is going to be true with dieting, and it's the same thing is going to be true with skill acquisition. You're always going to be on the, at the same point because you're always going to want more. You can never look too good, and you can never be too strong and skilled. So just accept it. Try to be as happy. And the only way to be happy and motivated is to do what you love, eat what you love, do what you love. And if it's not working for you, figure out a way to make it work for you and just do as much as that because you're always going to want more. So just accept that you're a greedy little bastard. You're never going to be happy with anything you have. I'm obviously speaking for myself, but everyone I've ever spoken to, it's the same thing. Like everyone always wants to look better. Everyone always wants to be better. So we're all we're all on the same point. We're all on the same part of the journey. And the more successful ones are usually the ones that are doing what they love and figuring out a way to do it in a way that is consistent with what they love to maintain as much love as possible, make time go as fast as possible, make an hour feel like a second, make healthy foods taste delicious, make strenuous workouts feel, I don't know. I don't know if I'd say easy, but accessible mm -hmm. and just look as good as possible, feel as good as possible. It's just, it's a really simple formula. Just don't just don't do things because you think you have to figure out what you have to do in order to thrive, figure out what like you, you have to do because it's unique to you and you love it and you can't live without it. Figure out what animates you, figure out what's going to get you wanting to go to the gym every day, figure out what you're going to want to eat after the gym, not what you think you're supposed to eat. Just, you know, you read it in a bodybuilding magazine, like you don't have to drink raw eggs or you don't have to eat chicken breasts with brown rice and steamed broccoli what? for the rest of your life. I gotta take yeah, down you don't my have e to do like now. the body. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you know, you don't have to. You can if you. Hey, I'm joking. Yeah. I like yeah. brown rice and broccoli. I wouldn't eat yeah. chicken, but I'd eat seitan yeah. with it. But like, yo, you can. But yeah, there's better <laughs> ways to do this. I mean, notice, notice, notice the common denominator in like you know your typical contest prep food. It's minimally processed. That's it. The end. You know, like your primal diets. Your if you're doing it whole foods, that that they all work. No matter what you're doing, the less processed food, the better. Exercise, less bullshit, the more complex, like full body movement you're doing, the more strength, you know, like the more strength, the more, the more mobility, the more range of motion, you're just going to be better. You're going to be stronger. You're going to perform better. Food, the more nutritionally dense it is, the more macronutrients it has in it, the less, you know, like the less processing, you're going to be better. That's it. Simple. Everything's really easy if you stop overcomplicating it because you think you have to do things like don't don't pinch your nose and drink some disgusting green juice because, you know, some some influencer was like, oh, that's how I start my day. Like, you know, like <laughs> freaking ridiculous. Don't do that. She's not doing that for real. She's doing that because she got paid to say that. <laughs> oh, that's amazing, dude. And I think the, the other thing as well with this is like it becomes so much easier to find you know, when 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 i hear somebody say go figure it out that's the only way that you can do it it's finding what's true for you it's going and figuring it out 
But where that gets really tricky and complicated for people is if they pass fail themselves. When they think, mm. oh, I have to do this diet and I have to stick with it. Otherwise, I won't get what I want and, you know, and, I, and I'll fail. When it's just like, well, there's a million ways to do this and I just want to find the one that I like the best. There's no failing. There's just, yeah. this is, I don't really like for me. I don't really want to stick with this. Maybe I should try and go with this more. Maybe I should try something else that lights me up more. And when it's just this constant tinkering, constant experimental process you don't have to pass or fail yourself you can just be like i'm gonna keep on going until i find that thing that i'm like fuck yes i cannot wait to get back in the gym and do that oh my god i cannot wait to get home and eat this it all becomes the question of motivation becomes so much less of an issue it's not no issue at all but it's so much less of an issue you know and and everything starts to fall into place when you just ask the questions of yourself and you're willing to go and experiment find the own answer and you let the other stuff be a test of itself not a test of you you let the the diet plan, you let the the workout regime, you let the sets and the reps versus the the plate, you let mm-hmm. all of that be a test of itself. Do I like that? Not am I good enough for this or did I pass or fail at this? That's when you flip the game on its head and that's when you start having so much more fun with it and getting so much more fulfilled with it. Yeah, because I think you have to become yourself. I think diets, I think programs, I think they work great in the short term, but they're made to be short term. They're like yeah. lifestyle is the only thing that works. And your life. So like you you use your lifestyle to build the life that you want. That's the only thing that will ever work long term. So yeah, if you know, if you need to like do something quicker, yeah, maybe, maybe do do a do, do a little bit of a diet, you know, maybe really reduce, do something, you know, maybe use a program if you're really trying to like you, there's one skill you really want to work on, you're just great with program learning. Do that. But at the end of the day, it's all about it's the long journey. You know, if you're doing something make sure that you want to be doing it for the long term or otherwise invest your time in something that you actually want to be doing. You know? So like if you plan on walking the the path for a long time, if you plan on eating healthy for a long time, I mean, it's not like, you know, like you want to have, you want to look good. You want to feel good. You want to do all these things. You have to make a lifestyle. There is no crash course. You can't just keep doing the same program forever. I mean, there's, there's aspects of, but like you're going to get, I mean, unless you don't get bored, then do you, but like for the (laughs) most, for most people, diets programs those are short term you know you have to figure out a way to make it a lifestyle change your life if you want to become someone else the only way to get there is through lifestyle manipulation you're going to have to manipulate your lifestyle figure out who you were manipulate that lifestyle until you become someone else that's it it's just don't do things because you think you have to it makes no sense 100 percent, dude Man, I think this is a really beautiful place to wrap it up. I've just yeah, there's I been think so, so many, well. so many nuggets in here and so many gold. This has been dense in terms of exercises. So I just want to say one more time, guys, if this felt a little bit, there's a lot of stuff in there, terms you didn't understand, go and check out the show notes. There'll be explanations of literally every single thing in there. I'll link you to a bunch of Raymond's videos as well. And yeah, just on that as well, if there's anywhere that people are like, holy shit, this guy's blowing my mind. I want to go and find out more about what you do. Where can people go to find out more about what you do? Instagram, uh, Instagram, the Nudnik, TikTok, the Nudnik, YouTube, the Nudnik. And uh, yeah, that's it. Just uh, come across on Instagram. I have a great, uh, great community. If you're into calisthenics, you want to connect with like calisthenics athletes. I run this with uh, Muscle Up Truda out of Norway. She's an amazing calisthenics athlete. Awesome. So like, and uh, great members, great people that regularly contribute and do that. You just it's cool. People of all levels getting together. So just, uh, you know, look into Cali for community, Cali, for the number four community, or you can just access it through me and just meet some athletes and like, just do that. Go out meet some athletes, uh, 
find me, but don't, don't do what I do unless you like what I do. Find, you know, like if you, if you want and you don't like what I do, use me to find people who do more what you do. So use me to introduce you to people of all levels. I mean, that's, what's nice about the community too. You'll have like the top level pros mixed in with like, you know, day one athletes and stuff like that. And you'll learn cool people and build community. That, that That's it. If you want to find me, find me and then use me to help build your own community. Cause that, that's going to make it a lot easier for all of you. Just build community, get to know people, have awesome conversations. Like, like we just had for now I love talking to you. This is fantastic. I, I hope we do it again sometime to many more. This is really, really is a blessing. Thank you, brother. I really enjoyed. Dude, me too, man. There's so many more questions here that I didn't even get to ask you, man. So I'd love to do this again. Part sometime. Two. Yeah, 100%. absolutely. Anytime. Stay tuned I enjoyed this two. so much. Go. That is a wrap, guys. Thank you so much for tuning into the episode. I know you would have got a ton out of that one. And if you want to go and find out more about what Raymond does, check out more of the crazy moves that he's gone on offer or any of his tips, you can go to Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. It's all at The Nude Nick. T-H-E-N-O-O-D-N-I-C-K. You can also check out his calisthenics community online and find other people to train with, to swap ideas with, to be inspired by, and that's at Cali4, C-A-L-I-4 community on Instagram as well. And as always, guys, if you're just bored and just not lit up by what you're doing in the gym, you want to start to incorporate some more strength skills, some mobility training to get your body feeling better, some hand balancing or some acrobatics practice to start to develop a relationship with fear, but you don't know how to get started, or you're not sure if your body and your joints are going to hold up, you need good one-to-one custom programming. It's based off a full biomechanical analysis of your body. There's only one place to go and get that. That's over at whitebelt.com slash train. It's W-H-Y-T-B-E-L-T.com slash train and check out my skill-based strength coaching one-to-one online programming, fully customized based off your goals and your biomechanical body, the way that your joints move. You can submit an application for coaching and check that out there. Much love, guys. Thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you in the next one.